The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bleed green. Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Bird 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go. Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And a good midweek morning, Birds fans. Appreciate you streaming in here on Birds 365 for your Mac and Mac guys. And yes, Jody McDonald on <clears throat> East Coast time, not Vegas time. Yeah, uh, how about that? Good good start to the show. Um, Johnny Mac, here's where I want to start today. And it's a topic of my mind only because I uh, work both the last two nights here on WIP. And I've been um, underwhelmed about the excitement from Eagles fans about the fact that they're going to open up next season in Brazil on a Friday night against a yet-to-be-determined opponent, but the fact that uh, the 2024 season, hopefully the rebound season for the Philadelphia Eagles, is going to be played where they've never played an NFL game before. I, I think it's pretty damn cool And yet, maybe because they're still stinging from the collapse of this season and or the fact that Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl again, and that's what most people who are talking football are talking these days. Uh, The fact that the Eagles have had a tumultuous offseason with their coaching staff. I'm not feeling the buzz. Either agree or disagree with me. And if so, why do you think that is the case? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, uh, a number of reasons, I think, for whatever reason. I mean, you know, it's a difficult trip. I, I think, you know, Eagles fans like to travel. It's a very expensive trip. Uh, uh, so it's the home opener, uh, too, which I think is, you know, uh, puts a little bit damper because you want the home opener to be home, <laughs> in theory. Uh, as you get hyped up for a season, I think a lot of it, as you point out, has to do with how the season ended. 
and there's so much work to be done before you can get fired up about the season. True. When it comes to the coaching staff, the personnel, um, I think that factors into it. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of hype as we get a little bit closer. But yeah, I, I yeah, I'm with you. And and then there's such the natural, I think, you know, most people think Europe is more accessible than South America, whether it's true or not. And and it's maybe even in that type of situation. But I don't think if we're in London or Berlin, I don't think people would be as fired up as for a home opener as opposed to when they do it, uh, uh, which is more middle of the season when they have the European games. So I think it's a whole bunch of stuff uh, wrapped up together. Now, you can certainly speak to this because you're covering teams. You're there uh, all games, all season long, years in a row. Maybe it's just me, and maybe I'm just the baseball wonk. Opening game, to me, in an NFL season, NBA season, NHL season, it's another game. It's one of however many you're playing. Now 17 in the NFL this year for the Eagles. It will be nine home games, uh, 41 NBA. Four. Opening day in baseball. I, I don't know why. And again, it just may be my upbringing, and I may be way off on this. That is something special. Even just the stupid, silly stuff they put around the ballpark. The, the bunting. bunting. The bunting. You get the bunting out. Yeah. yeah. The Eagles have any bunting for opening day that I'm missing no, out on that no. I don't know I think, about, John? You know, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think we grew up at a time where uh, baseball, people may not believe this, but baseball was still number one, the national pastime. And, you know, you had a whole generation of people that, um, you know, that was in the forefront and yeah, opening day was a, a real big thing. I don't think it's as big now as it was back then. Um, I think it's still big, certainly amongst baseball fans. Um, but yeah, it's always had the more tradition and, and baseball as a whole has always been, you know, whether you talk about the romanticism of the sport and all that kind of stuff has always had a leg up because it was number one for so long. It was number one for uh, a generation. You have all these great authors who wrote these tombs about it and, you know, spoke about it in a certain fashion. But I think to a younger generation, that's all gone. Um, and now it's just, it's just NBA opening day with some bunning. Um, and, and, and the NFL is a bigger deal because it's the NFL. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't get the sense that there's any of that romanticism about opening day in the NFL. Other than, that, that's why I'm no. surprised when you said, uh, one of the reasons is it's opening day. Uh, okay. Well, I think opening people, day is like game four and game six and game eight and during a home schedule. Well, I think if people, you know, they don't have schedules printed out, but if they go to their phone and they look at the Eagles schedule and you're an Eagles fan and you say week one, whoever it ends up being, Atlanta, Carolina, I think are the most likely subjects. Um, you see Atlanta or Carolina at the Eagles and you go, oh, hey, I'm all fired up to go down the Lincoln Financial Field. You got a little bit of a longer trip. You don't, you know, you can't take, uh, you can't can't take SEPTA into the stadium. So it becomes a little bit more difficult. Thank you for jumping to my next question, which was going to be, 
right, so we know where. We have a relative guess when. It'll be a night game. It's not going to be a middle-of-the-day game. We don't know how we're going to be able to see it back here in good old Philadelphia if we're not going to Sao Paulo. We don't know the opponent. You just threw out two possibilities. Um, We know the nine teams that the Eagles are playing, quote-unquote, at home this year. Uh, One of them will be, yeah, slightly south of South Philadelphia. Um, You think they're going to put a team that didn't make the playoffs in that opening game? I know the Eagles are the draw. That's why they announced the Eagles first. Eagles are a team that are only one year moved from the Super Bowl. Philadelphia, pretty damn good tradition, talented roster for the most part. As you said, there's work to be done. At some point, it's going to become Howie season here in town. Um, But I... You think they'll put a team that only won a handful of games into that game? Uh, I don't. I think that this is a game that the NFL has a certain reverence for. It's going to be a television property. Somebody's going to pay above and beyond to broadcast this game. I think it's going to be a team that was in the playoffs last year. Um, well, uh, remember, you have to, you have to rid, uh, I believe – and I'll have to look it up. Um, Jacksonville certainly, what well, they're not, they didn't make the playoffs, but they're a good, not great team. And obviously, um, you know, the Doug Peterson angle with that against the Eagles, but they play in Europe. So right. they're not going to, so they're eliminated. I believe Cleveland plays in Europe this year. I know one other team is eliminated. Uh, I believe it's Cleveland. I'll have to double check the international games. That would eliminate the Browns, and that would leave the Packers and Steelers. Now, the reason I go Falcons or Panthers, and, and it made some sense to me, and I forget, I'd like to credit them, but uh, they were doing the handicapping and say it's not going to be a division opponent, so they don't do that. Um, so you could also rule out the Cowboys, Giants, Commanders, and, and the European games, they never – play divisional games so you can kind of rule that out um and that leaves the packers and the steelers and i i wish i could give them credit and someone said you don't want to take they don't play here all that often and those are marquee games and i don't think jeffrey Lurie would want to take the packers or steelers away from lincoln financial field so that's why i i kind of said that and again this person's focused on Atlanta or Carolina. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. So just pure speculation, but it makes some sense in the fact that, you know, Packers are always a big deal because of the Packers and Steelers are always a big deal because they're the Steelers. But you can look at it. I I disagree with both you and whoever you're quoting is handicapping. The big deal is the Brazilian game. Not the fact that the Packers and the Eagles are going, oh, my God, it's Packers-Eagles. Uh, I, I think you got to save that for a game in Philadelphia. Oh, no, I think the NFL is putting a squeeze here on the team. Uh, they got the Eagles to agree to come. Um, they're, I think, in a way, almost honoring them by having them be the first team announced to play in a, uh, a, a game in South America. I think they're going to put an emphasis on this game. I think they want it to be something that they can sell. And Packers-Eagles sells much better than Panthers-Eagles. I don't think it's going to be, hey, Jeff, who do you want to play? Well, I I kind of look at it as, um, 
yeah, I look at the European and how they've done it, and they generally haven't put marquee games there. In fact, there's always been a lot of complaints, like, what are you doing to poor uh, Europe? And, you know, a lot of it has been Jacksonville. Which I was going to say, it's because time. the Jags have become Team Europe, and they're the ones who yeah. kind of drag it down. But now they have four games, and everybody would joke it's, you know, AFC South. They take those teams over, and a lot of they, – they never take marquee games over there. And I don't think Brazil's going to be any different. Um, and I consider those both marquee games, Packers, Steelers, Eagles, um, those three teams, um, they don't do that. So uh, why would they do it now? I think from their standpoint, the selling point – is NFL football um, and the Eagles, you generally get one team and the Eagles are the one team. I don't think you need two marquee teams. I, you know, just judging from their history and what they've done in Europe, they never say, Oh, we got to get a marquee game over there. In fact, it's the exact opposite. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll see how this plays. My guess is, and I'm not working on any information or knowing from the league I talked to or anything along those lines. This is a big deal. The NFL Europe games, they sandwich somewhere into late October. They're now up to four games a year. So the game in Europe is no longer the game. It's the games in Europe. Uh, the Tennessee, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars became Team Europe because they don't sell out their home stadium. So why not give them a sellout across the pond? It's a different dynamic. This is a country that they've never played in before. And they're having it week one. This is to start the season. They, they've already kind of designated it as more important than European games. Europeans aren't going to want to hear this, but uh, sorry, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I think the NFL looks at this as a bigger deal than uh, you're laying out there. That just giving them the Eagles is enough to pacify and satisfy the the fans that are going to be down there. And number two, and don't, don't minimize this, the broadcast outlet. I think this has got uh, streaming written all over it, that this is going to be a first game of the season streaming. When Roger Goodell can quote price points on Peacock in his State <laughs> of the Union, he's kind of tipping his hand here that – Folks, get used to this. This is the direction the National Football League, and not just us, but a whole bunch of other broadcast media. This is the new wave. This is the way of the world. And uh, if you're against it, you need to get on the bandwagon here because it's it's rolling on through. Uh, I think they're going to look at this as a big game, and I think they should. Not just because the Eagles are in it. It's in a big game to us and everybody watching on Birds 365 because we are what we are. I think this is a huge game for the National Football League, uh, and I think it's borderline an honor that the Eagles are asked to be the the out front team for this uh, first game of the season. Uh, that's first game of this season. First, last game of uh, this season that we're in right now is the Chiefs and the uh, Niners. And man, does this controversy just follow uh, the National? By the way, Football real League? quick, Jody, Carolina is playing in Munich, so it would be Cleveland involved, not Carolina. So it would be more maybe Cleveland's not a bad alternative. I, I think it's going to be either Cleveland or Packers. Yeah, Cleveland. Um, that the Cleveland has now. For some reason, I had it in my head it was Atlanta and Carolina. Um, uh, Carolina's playing in Munich, so they're out of the equation because um, they're not going to have 
two international games. Um, and Jacksonville's in Europe again this year, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they always have a home game. Um, um, uh, and, and they'll be in London. And that's part of that. I mean, the cons own a soccer team over there as well. So that's part of the whole thing is and, and why Jacksonville goes over there every year. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, Cleveland, maybe Cleveland's a, a nice uh, uh, middle point uh, than the Steelers or the Packers. Yeah, I know. The Steel- Does the fact that the Steelers and the Eagles are in the same state, I I used to always notice this, and I had a buddy who worked for, uh, I guess it was Fox. No, it's uh, CBS. The Steelers are on every week here in town. The other game, the AFC game, because they do studies and there's a lot of Steelers fans, I guess, within the broadcast realm. Once you get north of Philadelphia, you start to get it. I know they're in the same state, but I think Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, even though they're, however, 300, 350 miles apart, they're in two different worlds to me. But they just happen to be confined in the same state. But I've been told that there's a big Steeler fan base within the broadcast uh, circle, whatever it is, for Philadelphia television stations. Is that a bigger deal than I've always believed it is? I don't think it's a bigger deal from a rivalry standpoint, but I think the Steelers are a big deal. The Steelers are one of those teams um, that, you know, we always talk about the Eagles. The Steelers are are one of those teams that travel well. They're everywhere. That's true. They Um, they have a a good traveling fan base. And uh, so I think that's just everybody, but certainly in, you know, Keystone state battle and they don't, they don't play that much obviously because they're in opposite conferences. So there's not a tremendous rivalry, but I think when the two teams do play, it's a bigger deal because you do have a lot of Steelers fans here and you have a lot of Eagles fans out there. So, it, and, and it's easy for them to get back and forth. It's not San Paolo. They right. can go up and down the Pennsylvania. Might be more expensive to go up and down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, but uh, it's not as difficult. You get, get that easy thing. pass bill at the end of the month. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. You're like, Whoa, did this add up? My easy pass, I get 75 dinged from my easy pass uh, every time it, you know, it, it rolls over. And I, I I drove to Pittsburgh the last time they were out there. It was the uh, Travis Bolgum game and the uh, um, the COVID year. And I remember my, of course, my my Easy Pass had to roll over because I I took the turnpike up. It went up to one fifty. They they measure, and I'm like one fifty. You're taking one fifty out. That's how I I don't know what it oh, cost. I used to do it with the when I was going to New York, when I was working in New York, the amount that I would have to, uh, and all of a sudden, now I'm not taking it anywhere. And it just kept decreasing and decreasing and yeah, decreasing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It depends on how much you use. All right. We are going to use the services of a guy who's been very good to us. Comes on when we ask, does a great job. Excuse Bless me, get me all excited. Um, does a great job with his Eagles website called Eagles, I-G-G-L-E-S, Blitz. Covered the team for years. Tommy Lawler's going to join us and not only talk birds, but a little senior bowl. Got him run down to Mobile last week, so we'll ask him about some future Eagles. Uh, Jody McDonald, John McMullen, Birds 365. Tommy Lawler joins us next.
Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go birds! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go Bird! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go Birds. Get ready for the big game with Underdog Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in giveaways and underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy and use the word WIN. Back here with you on Birds 365. We're lucky to get our guy Tommy Lawler up here from EaglesBlitz.com. Check out his website, has the Eagles opinions up all the time. And we're gonna get some potential future Eagles opinions out of him today because I asked Tommy if he could jump on last week. He said, No can do. I'm gonna be down at the senior ball. How'd Mobile treat you, Tommy Lawler? Mobile is always great. It's a uh the only X factor is the weather. And uh, with the weather this time, it was in the 60s, uh, a little on the windy side one day, but the sun was shining, and the only thing you have to deal with then is a little sunburn. But uh, luckily, Jimmy Kemsky had some uh, some suntan lotions we all nice. lathered up. And, and, and There we go. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy saving the day. Well, I heard Jimmy he, got, uh, he got pretty beat up in the year area. Yeah, he, so he, he, he saved the day on, on Wednesday. On Tuesday, it was Olivia Reiner from the Inquirer. Who uh who had the uh, the lotion? But because uh, you sit still for about five and a half hours, yeah, and the sun is on your left hand side and just kills your ear and your neck, and <laughs> you, you, because you're traveling, you don't think to pack some, yeah, yeah. and then you just don't think you're not going to the beach. You're going to a football game. Yeah, exactly. you go to the beach. You take suntan lotion. You don't take beach to a football game. The first year I went back in 2012, I'm walking off the field. And you may not see it, but I've got a little bit of a bald spot up here. I don't have a whole lot of hair left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I got to feel bad. Les Bowen is walking down the, uh, the stairs from where he had been watching. And he goes, Hey Tommy, it's the first time I ever met him. He goes, Hey Tommy, uh, by the way, the top of your head is fried. You need to get a hat. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a way to meet somebody for the first time. Is that there you go. There you go. Les, Apple not only hair. Less being very cordial and also trying to save you. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, he, he's right. Yeah. So now I pack a hat religiously to uh, protect the old dome yeah. there because the mobile sun does a number on it. 
Yeah, that's something people like Jody and I will never forget. Uh, yeah, I I always have a hat at the ready. Right, if the same. sun is out, yeah, you gotta you gotta make do. So, um, you know, one thing you did not have in common with Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni is that you were at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> they were not. Uh, Alec Halaby, Matt Russell, Dom, Big Dom, everybody saw it down there. So the Eagles had a contingent, but what what are you what are your thoughts about the GM and the head coach not being at the Senior Bowl? So there's a value to being there and seeing things live, but they cut up the clips and they get that stuff transferred to teams so quickly now. And if you're Howie Roseman and you sit there and you say, "I have to budget my time because I've got a lot of tasks that I have to accomplish," if I fly to Mobile. Uh, it's not quick to get to Mobile. Yeah, it's tough to get there. Yeah, and then when you're there, you got to drive to the stadium. You're at the stadium. You're done with the the practice. So you're at the practices from 9 a.m. till about 2:30. Then you go eat something. You go back to the hotel and you're doing interviews with prospects. And you know you wrap up your evening. Now somebody like me, I go back to the hotel and instead of uh, doing interviews with prospects, I'm writing my notes up from the day's practices. Uh, but you can eat, eat up just a tremendous amount of time. You go out to dinner. Next thing you know, you're going to bed. And if you're Howie and you say, I can cut out that travel, the driving around, the dead time, and I can just watch the cut-ups, then that that really, there, there's something to be said for that. And the uh, the more and more we're seeing fewer coaching staffs there. Yeah. And and so it's it's one of those things, the media side of it has really grown. It's It's crazy to see how much more crowded the senior, senior bowl is now than when I first started going, but the coaches that you used to see, you just don't see as much. And unfortunately the new stadium, um, Whitney Hancock stadium is a beautiful facility. The way they've got it now, the NFL people go on one side and the media go on the other. Yeah, At the old stadium, yeah, people mix. Yeah. You could, you, you all came in through the same entrance and then you split right and left. Well, the NFL people would come over to our side sometimes because maybe they liked the view better. Maybe they wanted to be in the sun because it was a cold day. You know, I, I remember one year looking over and Andy Reid sitting 15 feet from me, you know, just holding court, talking to anybody that would sit and uh, come talk to him. You know, now I'm just sitting there with Jimmy and the other writers from the Philly area or whoever. And there's a mixture of agents and bloggers and whoever else uh, all watching. The old days you could all have a cluster of, scouts at there and you're like listening to their conversations trying to you know hear who do the giants like in the third yeah. round or what are yeah. they looking for and now you just don't have that same thing so uh it's unfortunate you know maybe it's good for the nfl but it's for those of us on the outside it was nice in the old days to be able to sit there and gather information see who's who's actually at the senior bowl and what they're doing yeah here's the reason why i can't buy that tommy uh and maybe i'm old school but i i will defend this old school position we heard a lot from the Eagles during the year, too, from the day he was hired, about Nick Sirianni and his ability to connect. You can't connect with a potential draft pick from a thousand yards. Can't do it. You got to be there. You got to be there to shake a hand. You got to be there to ask a question. You got to be there to be seen by a potential player that you're going to use a second, third, fourth round draft pick on. I don't care how good modern technology is, how good the cut-up tape that they get. You, you can't buy that. You can't, you have to dedicate the time. If you want to get that relationship, you're going to use the traffic on a kid, get it off on the right foot. You connect by being there and being part of it, not by, hey, you look great on tape when they sent the film back to Philadelphia. And that's why we took it in the third round. 
I'm sorry, you lose out on that. I, I disagree with this one where modern technology has taken the personal touch out of it, and I don't like it. Uh, but you gave it the personal touch because you were there. Give us just an overall feeling on the, the group that was there. You've been to several uh, deep, sp uh, position-specific, woeful, that it's a bad group. They had underclassmen there for the first time. What kind of a group of just the overall rating of the players that were there did you have in Mobile? It was a good group. It's a good group. There's, there were some multiple first-round players who were, were in Mobile, so that's always good. Um, for the Eagles, there's good news. There's a deep group of, of offensive linemen, which obviously the Eagles, um, because of age, are going to need to draft an offensive lineman or two. Uh, there's a, there a good group of cornerbacks, and the Eagles, yeah, I, I might be wrong here, but I'm thinking they might need a cornerback or two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there were some good safeties, and there was a couple of linebackers. So it actually fit up pretty well. And of course, there were some good uh, defensive tackles and, and edge rushers. I don't think the Eagles will spend a lot of resources there, but they had some interesting guys to look at should they decide that a guy has such good value they can't pass on him. So it matched up well. The, the wide receiver group, wasn't overly compelling. There wasn't a lot of stud receivers there. There were some good ones, but not, nobody great. And uh, I don't think the Eagles are going to spend an early pick on a wide receiver. So I, I think, you know, that kind of matches well. And, of course, the quarterbacks, there were some big names there. None of them played all that great, but the Eagles with Jalen Hurts are not going to be in the market for a quarterback early in the draft. Late in the draft, they may find somebody they want to take a shot at, but the guys going early, uh, the Eagles obviously aren't going to be in that that market. No, uh, certainly not. And you're right about, I, I look at, you know, you try to predict what the Eagles are going to do. And we got a lot to go through. We have the, we have the combine coming up. We've got medical testing. We got to worry about, you got the top 30 visits. There's a lot to go the senior bowl. And that's sort of the tag. It's where the draft starts, but um, certainly doesn't finish there. But, you know, you think about the Eagles starting at 22, Tommy, and, and, yeah, you know, what do they do? You mentioned cornerback, that's a position. But offensive tackle, because of their belief system, because there's so many that I think Daniel Jeremiah had seven or eight offensive tackles in his first top 50 from number nine, who was the kid from Notre Dame, to number 20. And I'm saying to myself, Everybody in that range ain't taking a tackle. So in theory, there's going to be some good, really good prospects trickling down a little bit to 22. Now, how he may trade up, he may trade down, may do a lot of things. But, boy, if you're a betting man, I look at those offensive tackles. Then you take it a step further. Lane Johnson mentoring the kid from Oklahoma. Boy. Uh, you know, if you're a betting man, you want to you want to get some odds somewhere, just take a wild shot. That'd be a good shot for the Philadelphia Eagles. Tyler Guyton, Oklahoma. What do you think of him? Yeah, no, he was impressive. Um, measured in at 6'7", 328. So that's the kind of length you want. He's a big, tall guy, but he's also got a thick frame to him. Uh, he showed the ability to anchor. So when a defensive lineman gets into his body and starts to push him back, he's able to sink his, his butt and hips and, and hold his ground. Uh, he uses his hands. Well, he's got good feet. He's a, he's an athletic offensive tackle. And so he really is a complete package. And uh, going into mobile, the question I had is, is there any way that he makes it to pick 22 or is he going to be so good that he doesn't get there? But 
the point you just made is so true. There's a glut of tackles that are going to be in that maybe 15 to 25 range. And it's really going to be, are you looking for a left tackle or right tackle? Well, obviously with Jordan Mailata in place, the Eagles are going to be looking for a right tackle. Uh, Tyler Guyton played right tackle at, at Oklahoma. So that may be a guy that they're going to be higher on than somebody else who's looking for somebody with left tackle experience. Um, one of the best offensive tackles down there was Talese uh, Fuanga from Oregon State. He's another guy that's a right tackle, and he had a, a fantastic set of practices. And really, uh, he's a guy now that you don't think, I don't know if he gets to pick 20. Uh, but there was a whole group of, of offensive tackles that were impressive. Uh, uh, Jordan Morgan from Arizona did some good things. Um, obviously, Guyton, and then uh, uh, the kid from BYU, Kingley Sotomaya, uh, did some good things. Uh, They're th testing you with the pronunciations. You're doing well, too, Tom. Oh, I tell you what, uh, Jimmy and I were joking about who we want the Eagles to draft, and it was basically, give me a Smith and a Jones and a, <laughs> a Jackson. These names are, are more and more challenging. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, so I, I really, and I know I, I mentioned something on Twitter about an offensive tackle, and couple of fans came back you know fans are not always the most rational yeah, they, they, uh, they, uh, they don't like tackles but yeah. news alert right F fans yeah. get angry and uh so they were saying you know listen if they draft an offensive tackle my, my head's gonna explode uh, i'm gonna quit watching this team and the, the point uh, well hey paint me a fan <laughs> i'll i'll go on record right now and saying the year after taking nolan smith with a first round draft pick and oh by the way nolan smith gave the eagles basically nothing all entire year long uh, with Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata sitting there as starters, <clears throat> I, I'll predict right now the Eagles are not taking the tackle with the 22nd. Ooh, that's, uh, ooh, I'd be careful with that, man. Yeah, I, I would. I, if I had I, to bet, I would. I, you guys take tackle, I'll take the field. How much would you like to wager? You're, I, you're I locking into a position. I'm saying it's wide open. Well, you got to give me odds. You're getting the oh, field, Jody. You got to give me odds. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just looked at me and said, be careful with that. That's well, not to because like you're I said damn sure the Eagles are taking a tackle and I'm no, taking any I, of your money by telling you, I don't think they're taking a tackle. As I explained to Tom, not only do you have the belief system, look, I'm just trying to, to speculate what the Eagles thought process is. Not only do you have, not only do you have uh, the belief system, you have a year where as I pointed out and Tommy pointed out, you've got a whole boatload of tackles that are projected to go from 10 to 25 that it just in general how is about evaluation and valuation not only do you have to get the right player you got to get them at the right spot and you're going to have a tackle at 22 if you stay at 22 maybe he loves a, a cornerback and he goes up to get him uh, but if you stay at 22 you're going to have a tackle that's good value for that spot because there's so many stinking tackles that belong in that grouping. That's what I think about it. What uh, your thoughts, Tommy? No, you're exactly right. It's, 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 it's not like the Eagles are saying we have to go get an off the tackle. Yeah. That's, that's what's like. Well, Tommy yeah, froze up for you at this point, oh, right? And think things could change a little bit, but that's just, that's the deepest group is the offensive lineman that are going to be there from the pick 10 to the end of the first round. And the Eagles are going to, you know, they're at pick 22 now. They could go up a little bit. They could go back a little bit. But they're going to be in that 10 to 32 area most likely. And if you look at the numbers, 
the tackles are going to be, generally speaking, the best players on the board at a lot of those spots. So uh, that matched up with the fact that Lane Johnson is 34. He uh, started to show some signs of age last year. Like last year was not his best year, right? Yeah. You, you start to see that he's a human being because for years he didn't seem like a human being. And I think we may have taken his elite play a little bit for granted. Last year you saw him get beat a couple of times. You're like, yeah, he gave up a sack for the first time in the, uh, I, I don't know how long. Superman yeah. couldn't stop the bullets. You're yeah. like, that's that. Superman always stops the bullets. Yeah. All of a sudden, Superman looked like, you know, right tackle man, just a, a normal right tackle. And so, you know, listen, that's no, that's no criticism of Lane. That just tells you how good he was before that, yeah. where you just took it for granted. Nobody's beaten that guy. And he was a special, special player. Last year, he started to look like a normal human being, and he's only going to be a year older this year. So you start to say, hey, listen, the, maybe you draft a successor. And and Jody, I understand your, what your point is, but I'll just go back to the, the thing that taught us all a great lesson back in 2002 when the Eagles had the best secondary in football and then drafted Lito Shepard, Sheldon Brown, and Michael Lewis with their first three picks and rebuilt the secondary instantly for the future. None of us had the Eagles taking a quarterback in 2002 right. because they had the best secondary in football as it was. Since, and since you're putting the emphasis you're on always quarterbacks, that's where, that's where I'll go. It, there's two ways to look at it. Their overall grade, you're right. Daniel Jeremiah, whoever you want to take, you know, he ranks them in order, position out the window, just puts a grade on them, and the Eagles could get a, a, a higher graded player at that position. And then there's the individual position. So if the Eagles at number 22 take the sixth or seventh best rated tackle, because six are off the board, we'll go with six, five are off the board. You can take the sixth best tackle or you can take the second best cornerback. And their grades are the same. And I have a needed cornerback. I got James Bradbury. Oh, Lane Johnson was human last year. Human as in he gave up one sack. You talk about human. James Bradbury was human. He was getting beat like a rented mule. I'll tell you that the cornerback position is much more of a need, and you get the second-highest-ranked cornerback as compared to the sixth-highest-ranked tackle. Yeah, I'm taking the cornerback if I'm Howie Roseman. I think – so your, your point is correct in the sense that cornerback is a need. I think we'd all agree that's a much bigger need than offensive tackle. I think what you're, you're missing is you're assuming – there's going to be a cornerback that's going to be equal value to that offensive tackle. Yeah, and I exactly. Think that's, that's what John key. and I are trying to tell yeah. you. That's that's probably not going to line up. And by uh, the way, if Tommy went back to what what'd you go? 2002, Tommy? Yes, you sir. You really only have to go back to what is uh, a Nicobe Dean and Cam Jurgens. How he literally said it to everybody. And I, I know this because I just wrote about it because I was talking about it. When it's even, and he said, by the way, quote, Unfortunately for our fans at the time, you know, because they wanted Nicobe Dean, they ended up getting him anyway. I'm always going to go offensive line, defensive line. That's how we roll. That's how we build this thing. If it's even, like you said, Jody, oh, I guarantee you they're taking the offensive lineman. If it's even. Now, the question is, if the cornerback is higher on their board, yeah, they'll go corner. But if it's even... That's how we roll. How he's not lying. He's proven it time and time and time again. Yeah. So what you do, they, they call it stacking the board. So you have your, your players with grades and you vertically stack them by 
whichever position you feel like is a priority. So if you have, you know, three guys rated with a grade of 7.8, you know, and you say, all right, well, one of them's a linebacker, one of them's a defensive tackle, and one of them's a, a cornerback. Obviously, the Eagles have defensive tackles. The, the Eagles are not going to draft a linebacker early, so cornerback goes to the top of that trio, you know, and that's where the scouts assign grades to these players, and then it's up to Howie and the, the guys who run the draft to stack the boards. So they take the grades and they build a draft board, and and it's possible sometimes they may have a lower-graded player in a position of need that's a, just a critical need and they don't know what else to do. So they'll reach for that guy and they'll acknowledge that. Well, they won't acknowledge it publicly to us. They'll acknowledge it three <laughs> yeah. years from now. They always get the guy they want. Yeah, yeah. They always, they always yeah. get the guy. Yeah. Amazing. But um, they're not the yeah, only no, team. Everybody's 1000. Right. They know they need a corner. And the good news is there's a solid group of corners. You know, the, the, the star in, in mobile is a guy named Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Everybody was talking about Quinion Mitchell. Go ahead. I, yeah. see, we're sitting there watching him, and, and sometimes these guys, it's hard to read their numbers because their shirts get bunched up. Yeah. They don't have their jerseys all drawn completely down. And you're watching players on both sides of the field. Oh, we got uh, frozen Tom again. Is he who, frozen who, for you? Who, whose number was that? They said so that was a seven. Well, seven was Quinion Mitchell. And you'd see him pick off a pass down the field, break up a short pass, run right with a receiver. And he just he showed the movement skills you want. He showed the ball skills you want. He's confident. He's good size, good athlete, and was going against you know a solid group of receivers. At Toledo, you're not playing elite talent, yeah, uh, elite competition. But he was out there against some guys that are going to be first and second round picks, and he shut them down. And so, unfortunately that really strong performance means he probably is going to make it to 22. <laughs> so if Howie likes him, he's going to have to trade up. So that's the the one downside to a guy going to have a really good senior bowl is all of a sudden he's out of your dating range, you know? All right. Since, yeah, John, since John referenced him by name, we'll go to his list. As a matter of fact, we'll use him. Daniel Jeremiah, Philly guy. Um, he's got a Marius Mims, a Georgia product. Oh, that would be shocking if the Eagles took a Georgia player. Mm. Uh, offensive tackle for Georgia at number 18 and Quenyon Mitchell, the DB you guys were just talking about number 19. Let's say they're both sitting there at 22 when the Eagles pick who they taking. Wow. That's a tough one. So Mims is fascinating because he's only started eight games in his career. He started six games last year and he started two games the year before that, but he is six foot seven, 340 pounds. And he has, freak potential he could become a dominant offensive lineman he's strong he has a natural kick slide you watch him you're like this does not look a guy who started eight games this looks like a guy who started a lot more than that but he is raw and he needs time to develop so in a way he'd be perfect draft him have him learn for a year and be ready to take over for lane in 2025 or 2026 whenever lane steps away so mims makes a lot of sense uh, but he's just not ready to come in and start right away. And that's one of those situations where if you had those guys graded even, um, I, I'm guessing Howie would probably take Mims because the ceiling, he has the potential to be a special player. Quinion Mitchell is a good corner, but he's not going to be a special player at all. But he, he, here's my here's my point. You got the list up, Jody. I don't have it up, but uh, 
Here's my point. How many tackles are above Mims on the list and how many cornerbacks? I think he's only got one corner, if I'm re- I'm just doing it by memory, above yeah. Mitchell. So he's going to get pushed up the board because there are no corners where the tackles are going to get pushed down the board because there's so many tackles. That's my that's my thought process. So when you bring the valuation into it, and again, this is also saying if the Eagles stay put at 22, they might want Mitchell and they might, but they're going to have to go up and get him probably, as Tommy just pointed out, because he had a good senior ball. Now, plenty, he might have a bad pro day. Plenty of things can happen uh, moving forward that can shake that tree, but there aren't a lot of corners. So those guys are getting pushed up the board. The tackles, they're all over the place. Those guys are getting pushed down the board. So that's kind of how I'd look at it when I'm talking about valuation and where the Eagles are going to be. At, at number 22, not that they don't need a corner because they certainly need a, a corner. Now, there's another kid, Tommy, I I heard everybody was talking about. Now, this is not a first-round pick. This is not a second-round pick, but running back, and the Eagles have one running back uh, uh, under contract, veteran running back, Kenny Gainwell. Everybody else is a free agent. They have Lou Nichols on a futures deal, but that's a futures deal. Dylan Laub, everybody was talking about him. New Hampshire, I believe. Yeah, that's is right. it real or is it not real? And what are we talking about? I assume day three. He can could he possibly uh, sneak into day two? Is he that good? I think he could sneak into day two, but most likely, I would say because of, of his size and his skill set, and the fact he's a running back, I, I think of more as a day three guy. Uh, so. Th- the thing that he does best, he is a gifted receiver. He gets downfield, he runs routes, he gets open in space, he's quick, he's shifty, and a really he's a standout pass catcher. As we, I think, have talked about in some of our discussions in the past few months, the Eagles just don't throw the balls that are running yeah. backs a lot, right? So I question whether he's somebody they would have interest in. Now, of course, we're going to see Kellen Moore's offense this year and not just Nick Sirianni's. Maybe they would like a running back who can catch the ball better and he would make sense. But then again, Kenny Gainwell, his specialty coming out of college was the ability to catch the football. So, you know, maybe, maybe it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but no, he was, uh, Dylan Lau was impressive. You know, you're always interested to see how the small school guys do when they're going against linebackers from the SEC schools and big 10 schools. And trust me, he showed the ability to get open, catch the football. He was very impressive. Good, good player. And it didn't help that Chip Kelly didn't get an offensive coordinator job in the NFL because he would have fought for a New Hampshire guy as a potential <laughs> third-round pick. No um, doubt. You, you mentioned Keller Moore, the New Eagles offense coordinator. We haven't talked to you since he's been put in place here in Philadelphia uh, when Howie and Nick did their press conference together and they talked about uh, finding that mesh point between the offense that they've run these last couple of years and giving the new offensive coordinator his ability to bring in his offensive fresh ideas. Um, how do you think the fit between Kellen Moore and what he's done in the NFL, we can judge it uh, for what it was in both Dallas and Los Angeles last year, what Kellen Moore has done and what the Eagles have done, is there a mesh point to be had there? Do you think it's going to work, Tommy? I do. I do. I, I've, I've been impressed by Kellen Moore going back to when you would watch the Eagles play the Cowboys and you'd see the Cowboys offense and you'd say, you know, they have some creative plays to whether they're, they're getting the ball to 
I mean, he goes far back far enough that he was throwing the ball or getting the ball to Jason Witten, right? Uh, we know he's fed the football to uh, to Zeke Elliott. We know he's fed the football to CeeDee Lamb. And so you've seen the offense, you know, do a lot of RPOs uh, with Dak Prescott, and then they've they've thrown the had shown the ability to to throw the ball over the middle of the field to the tight ends, throw the football down the field to have a, a good screen game. And uh, I think if they can take some of his ideas and the things that he does well, because, you know, listen, the, the word that Nick Sirianni used in a press conference was really an accurate word, stale. It's not like the Eagles had just these awful ideas that had no success. It's that they, they couldn't expand on them and tweak them to give some something new and something a little bit creative. So if you bring somebody in who's, who's got a different offense, he can mix and match some of his stuff with some of the stuff that the Eagles already do. Well, you don't throw out the Eagles' entire playbook. They were top 10 in points and yards. That's not an offense you just get rid of, but it needed improvement. And I think Kellen Moore and his ideas will be a good match for what the Eagles want to do. And if you look at what he did in Dallas, they had a good offensive line. They had a mobile quarterback. They had multiple receivers. The Eagles have that personnel, so he's got the, the pieces to work with that he's had success with in the past. So I think it'll be a good match. You know, uh, Diana Rossini um, uh, said something about Mike Rabel the other day. I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, she was talking, she was doing an interview and she said, Mike tends to intimidate some people. You know, he's a big guy. Um, and I think that's a good thing, by the way, if I'm, you know, sort of a presence in the building, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I bring that up to to point out the Eagles are certainly in this camp. They constantly talk about the collaborative uh, collaboration aspect of it, and they want to be a very collaborative organization. They want all these ideas, and in a, in a in a you know in a vacuum sense, it makes sense, right? The more smart people you have tackling a problem. Um, you know, the better ideas you're going to have. So I get the thought process in theory. In reality, though, somebody's got to make a decision at some point. So that's my concern. Who's running this offense? And as you mentioned, Tommy, um, top 10 offense, I think everybody forgets about that. Top 10 yardage, top 10 points scored. Pretty good offense. Did it get stale? Yeah, certainly it didn't end well. Let's put it that way that there's room for improvement. I think there's room for evolution, but you know how this works, Tommy, this league is about, okay, this didn't work. Let's go this way. It's just giant swing back and forth. And Kellen Moore uses motion, top 10 in motion. He, he puts the quarterback under center. Uh, the Eagles don't do that unless they're tush pushing. Um, He's had the number one uh, offense against the Blitz with Dak Prescott at one point. So he's good at the things they were bad at. But wh- where where does it where does it stop? Like who's making the decisions? Who's doing the game plan? Is Nick Sirianni Jason Garrett or is he John Harbaugh? And he has some power. I know you can't answer that question, but what <laughs> should it be? Nobody can answer that. Right. No, I think I think Kellen Moore is going to run the offense on on game day, and I think it'll be a collaborative effort up to that point. And Nick Sirianni is a proud guy, right? He he, he likes to talk about this was my offense, and it was his offense that got them to the Super Bowl and and scored thirty five points in a game they probably should have won. You know, he, he's proud of that. 
but he's also a really competitive dude. And I think at the end of the day, he's also pretty smart. I think that he sees, listen, uh, I want to win more than I want to be right. And so I can put my ego in my back pocket, go hire somebody that's a veteran play caller, give more power to him. We have a better chance to win games. I get to keep my job and make some make some more money and live a pretty good life. So I think he's kind of compromised on where his ego would like to be because it's better for him overall and for the for the Eagles. And and that's where some guys don't do that. They they cannot compromise. I mean, we've seen Bill Belichick has made strange decisions and when they fail, rather than learn from them, he just seems to think like, well, I'm going to continue to make strange decisions. I'm Bill Belichick. I know more. And with, with Sirianni, I think he realized at the end of the year, when you looked at that last six or seven games, the Eagles averaged 19 points a game, and they just struggled. And I think he said, okay, whatever worked so great for that half of 21, all of 22, and half of 23, it quit working in 23, and we've got to have some answers. And Brian Johnson and, and the group they had just didn't have the answers. So I think he's willing to say, listen – I need some outside help. Let me go find somebody. And Kellen Moore is the guy that they decided to bring in. So I think it's going to work, but it's, it's, it's definitely, there's going to be some times where there's going to be some frustrations. There's no question. Uh, when you have that many people with big egos and ideas and, and good track records, it's not like they can say to Sirianni, well, you're a failure. You got team to freaking three points. You had a better offense than uh, Kellen Moore last year. Technically. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, so, so it, it, there's going to be some, 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 some moments when there's some, some frustration. That's fine. That's part of the NFL. If the NFL was all a kumbaya league and everybody got along 24, seven, 365, the three of us would have nothing to talk about. Right. Yeah. That's very true. I, uh, I'm going to put you to test here, make it easy for you, but it might be a tough call. <laughs> Best fit for the Philadelphia Eagles to be their defensive coordinator going into next year. Vic Fangio or Jesse Minter? Because the Michigan DC decided to join his boy John Ar- uh, Jim Harbaugh in LA yesterday. He made the jump like a bunch of college coaches have. Yeah, we'll get the hell out of uh, college football <laughs> while we can uh, work for a living. The NFL's a piece of cake work wise going forward. Would you rather see a young, inventive, coming in from college guy taking over the defense? or the original creator of the Fangio defense, but a guy who's certainly on his back nine. Uh, I like Fangio uh, because I think, again, the Eagles are a team that is ready to compete for Super Bowls now. And so they need somebody who can build the right game plan for the right moment. And younger guys, you know, when, when you've been a, a defensive coordinator at Michigan, you've had to build a game plan to stop Ohio state or Wisconsin, but that's not the same thing as having to build a game plan to stop Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. And so give me the guy that's a veteran coach uh, because if the Eagles were an up and coming team, and they had a young roster and we were looking at the next three to five years, then Jesse Minter would make more sense. Yeah. But the Eagles, <clears throat> if they acquire a couple of players, they could be right back contending for a Super Bowl. I want the guy who can build that game plan for those key moments and those key games. And, and Vic Fangio has a ton of experience, uh, big games and, and, and coming up with ideas and he's seen just about everything. So I think he was the better fit for this team. Yeah. And they love him. Although I, uh, full disclosure, I want to get the hell away from that scheme. <laughs> Tommy, I think people have caught up to it, but uh, we'll see if Vic can evolve. He's done it in the past. There, there's no reason 
you can't do it in the future. At Lawler NFL, um, follow Tommy on X. Um, I guess I'll end it where we started the Senior Bowl, and you were down there. We talked about the differences and the, the personnel, the coaches. One of the things the Senior Bowl was when you first started going down there, I think you said in 2012, was was sort of like a convention of assistant coaches. When you needed to hire assistant coaches, that's where you went. And you right. interviewed guys, and uh, you hired the Eagles, obviously going different mindsets and different environments. It's not the same as it used to be. Um, but the assistant coach, and we don't know the full grouping, but you've seen Clint Hurt. You've seen some of the cachet for Vic Banjo and his reputation being able to get uh, bigger defensive uh, names in there. Offensive, Doug Mus- Nussmeyer, uh, who's been with Kellen Moore for seven years, um, probably the most important positional job. Do you like it? Can you like it? We don't, we, until we see it, it's, it's kind of tough to decipher, but uh, from a standpoint of just covering the NFL for all these years, and you see this constant turnover, what makes you think it's going to be better this year than last year? So when Nick Sirianni put his original staff together back in 2021, he hired these young up and coming coaches. None of us knew who Shane Steichen was, right? You know, None of us knew much about Jonathan Gannon. Maybe had heard his name somewhere. Uh, nobody knew who Nick Rallis was, and you, you, you know he had these young, hungry assistants, and they did a fantastic job and got the team to the freaking Super Bowl. And then he lost that group, and so Nick said, "I'm going to do what I did coming in, and and I'm going to go try to hire young, hungry guys." And so he promoted Brian Johnson, and and uh, he went and he found uh, Sean Desai, and. Uh, he brought in the linebackers coach that had formerly been at Temple, and he promoted DK McDonald, and you know gave these young guys a chance. And all of a sudden, they found out not every young, hungry coach is going to work. Right? He found it out in a hurry. Most, usually, it doesn't happen that quickly. And so this time, I think Nick said, "You know what? I've got a roster because we've got a quarterback that's in his prime. And anytime you have a quarterback there, a good quarterback who's in his prime, you've got a chance to compete." So Nick's like, I can't waste this opportunity. So I'm going to go get more of sure things. So the Eagles have hired veteran assistants who know the NFL. And on the defensive side, they've got guys that have worked in the Fangio system. So you're not bringing people in and saying, all right, Sean Desai, we're going to run your system, which is the Fangio system, maybe the tweak or two. And then the defensive line coach, you're going to have to learn a Fangio system and the linebacker coach, you're going to have to learn the system. You're, so you guys are going to learn the system while you're teaching it. Well, now they've gone and they've got Fangio, who he is the system, right? And then they've got Clint Hurt, who's run a defense before, but who's worked for Fangio. They've hired uh, uh, Parker, uh, Christian Parker, Christian who's worked Parker. for Fangio and knows the system. They've <clears> hired um, Joe Casper, Casper who's a Fangio. Yeah. Who knows Fangio, knows the system. So the personalities, Fangio knows these guys, and these guys know what he expects of in, ter- in terms of his personal demands and the way to teach his system. Because it's not just about drawing X's and O's on a wall and saying, you know, you, you be at this landmark, you're doing this on this play. Which foot do I want my left foot forward, my right foot forward? Do I, you know, am I looking at the receiver? Am uh, I looking at his shoulder, his knee, his hip? If an offensive lineman pulls, do I want to take him on on this angle? Do I want to spill the play that way? Who's going to scrape over this? You could t- teach all the subtleties 
and make the play so you're giving your guys a chance to succeed by giving them the details. Oh, we got one last. Here we go. The 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 famous story that um, John Madden told Vince Lombardi put on a coaching clinic once. Uh, John Madden's there to watch it. Vince Lombardi talked for eight hours about the Green Bay sweep. One play for eight hours, and John like, Madden. That's dead. like uh, Belichick with long snappers. <laughs> it is right, <laughs> but John Madden said, "I here I am, a young coach, and I'm excited to be in a room with all these coaches, and I'm going to hear my hero Vince Lombardi talk." And he thought he, he had this notebook, and he's like, "I'm going to learn all these plays and all these ideas." And instead, what he learned was how the Green Bay snap sweep worked against an even front, an odd front, a stacked front, this front, that front. And the guy had Lombard had an answer for every possible situation that came up and Fangio's coaches knowing his scheme are going to be better suited with those kind of answers on the offensive side of the ball. The fact that you have Kellen bringing in his Lieutenant Doug Nussmeyer, that they've worked together. Now Kellen won't be coming in and everybody in offense staring right at him and saying, all right, you're the, you're the Messiah fix the offense he'll have somebody to work with that he's comfortable with who can communicate his ideas to, to Jalen and make sure they're all on the same page and they're mm-hmm. seeing the same things. And, and, uh, and I think that'll give him a little bit of a comfort zone having somebody that he's friendly with. So he's not just coming in here and he's kind of the guy and everybody's staring at him, but you know, I think it'll help from an X's and O's standpoint. And again, a kind of a personality standpoint. Tommy, last question. And this will be very simple. You don't have to go on for nine hours like Vince Lombardi about one thing. It's just basically <laughs> take a one for nine shot here. What are the Eagles going to be playing in Sao Paulo, Brazil, come February 6th? You got nine teams we know they can potentially match up because we know the Eagles are playing at home this year. Who do you think they match up against in the opening? I heard the discussion you guys said earlier. A lot of, a lot of good points, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I'll go with Green Bay. How about that? Yeah, that's who I think it's going to be. I think it's probably going to be the pack. Uh, but we shall see. And we're probably not going to – you think they'll wait till they put out the schedule? Or do you think they'll give us a hint on that one ahead of time? That's uh, a great question. Yeah. Probably know. a hint. We'll probably get a hint ahead of time, okay. I would think. But not not a lot. Not not a long. Because the schedule comes out in April, so that still gives you four months, five months before the opening day. So if Yeah, they, they pushed it back night, now. It used to come out before the draft. Now they pushed it back. Now, so maybe it's it, May. Maybe it's yeah, May. I thought, May. It was, yeah. I thought yeah. it was April. And, and oh, by the way, it's two full days of programming on the yeah. NFL Network. And that's why. Man, that's they why. know they know how to milk a yeah. topic like nobody's business. Yeah. It'll take them two days to reveal all the game come May. Tommy, we revealed you today to our Eagle fans. And if you need more, Eagle Splits, I-G-G-L-E-S, Splits.com. Tommy's Eagle blog is a must-read if you're an Eagles fan. Tommy, thanks for hopping in with us today. Appreciate it greatly. I hope I didn't make you guys jealous of all this fancy hair I've got. Uh, yeah, yeah, you did. Everybody makes Let me, let me straighten the little gray I have. Yeah. That is Tommy Lawler here with us on Birds 365. All right. He's Mc, uh, McMullen. I'm McDonald. We are Mac and Mac. Got a good guest coming for you in hour number two. Who's that going to be? You're going to have to stick around to find out. Hey, uh, Birds fans, here's your chance to save up to 40% on your car insurance right now from one of Jacob Sports' great partners. Here's what you need to do. Call one of their two managing partners, Either Jim or Fred, both great guys. Tell them you're a friend of Jacob Sports and Birds 365.
Hi, I'm Jim Muehlbronner, Managing Partner at DelVal Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. Go Birds! Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go birds! Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go birds! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Get ready for the big game with Underdog Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in giveaways and Underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy and use the word WIN. Johnny Mac and Jody Mac going on Birds 365. Uh, we're going to be lucky enough to have Matt Verderame from Sports Illustrated uh, uh, join us in a little over 10 minutes from now would be my guess if uh, Matty got the link expecting him to be on. You tweeted me, Matt Verderame's tweet of, or uh, texted me, the new podcast he's doing, doing a Chiefs podcast, getting back to his roots uh, before Matty went to uh, first fan-sided, then Sports Illustrated. He was a uh, Kansas City beat guy before he became a national guy. So uh, he's going to be doing a Chiefs podcast. 
not like jumping on a bandwagon. <laughs> the Chiefs are as hot a team as there is in the National Football League, and not just because they're in the Super Bowl this year, but because they've done what they've done the last several years. If there's a dynasty to be had in the NFL, it's Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, Werner Bert, will come on. We'll talk plenty about uh, the Super Bowl with him and, and all things NFL. But before we get to the Super Bowl, I got one more Eagles question for you, John, before we get Maddie up here. Um, Jason Kelsey. Um, Travis Kelsey is being dragged into the Jason Kelsey conversation. Um, getting questions about his brother this week and the Brazil game. Do you think Jason want to go to uh, Brazil? Um, uh, we've had a couple of reporters be able to get a hold of Jason at the senior bowl and kind of try and put him on the spot. Are you, or aren't you coming back this year? Um, I have zero problems with Jason dictating all terms on days of engagement, rules of engagement, when he's going to decide how he's going to decide what he wants to say, what he doesn't want to say. You talk about a guy who's earned his right to basically dictate terms. I don't think anybody's in a better position than Kelsey is right now. And you and I have already speculated on it. We're both right there at 50%. I'm 50% one way. You're 50% the other way. People are trying to get to the bottom of this. We're not going to know till Jason decides whether he is or isn't coming back, are we? Uh, no, he's going to announce it, I would imagine, on his podcast. Um, that's the way he'll handle it. He'll certainly do it, as I said. He's not going to leave the Eagles on, on the hook once the new league year starts, which is March 13th or whatever, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been his MO, uh, and he will continue to do that. Um one thing, I mean, certainly not till the Super Bowl is over because, you know, the spotlight's on Travis and, and, and the Chiefs and his run to going back to back. Um, so he's not going to take away from that. But so, you know, we're getting there. Today's February 7th, uh, March 13th. You only got a little bit more than a month. So we'll knew, know soon enough. Um, you know, he's done it in the past. He's changed his mind. He's told guys that, you know, he thinks this is it, his friends on the team. And that's kind of what happened this year. Um, and then he recharges his batteries a little bit and says, you know what? I can still play. He certainly can still play. Um, you know, and, and he always brings up the advice he got from Howard Mudd, which was basically, um, you, you know, you know, when your time is done. And he said, I can't imagine um, not wanting to not play football. And, you know, Jeff Stoutland then chimed in, you'll know, you'll know. Um, and he's always kind of stuck to that. Um, and then he's got to talk it with over with his wife as well. And you have those issues. He's got three young kids. So a uh, lot of, a lot of balls in the air. Um, I continue to think it's more, retirement than not but he's fooled me in the past and he can fool me again yeah he's fooled me in the past too so i'm not buying it until i hear it from his own two lips into a camera i'm retiring i'm going to continue to believe that jason kelsey's coming back for another year uh you mentioned stoutland stoutland put out a video uh on social media yesterday speaking portuguese 
about the Eagles going to going Brazil, to Brazil and, yeah. Um, which was good. And people interpret, oh, good. That means Stout's coming back. Was there ever a chance that I, uh, Stout wasn't coming I back? I saw that. Stout's coming back. I go, yeah, we know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of been the Eagles. It, it was a little bit. There was a little bit of concern. I always bring up um, that it was going back to Alabama because he was really close to Doug. And when everything that happens, um, he was close to going to Alabama to the point Bruce Feldman reported it. And Bruce is, for those who don't follow college football, Bruce is as plugged in as it gets. So he had agreed um, to go back to Alabama and the Eagles talked him out of it. How many years ago was that now? Uh, 2021 um, when Doug went, when it crossed over from Doug to Nick. Okay. And uh, you know, part of it, his wife didn't want to leave the area, loves the area. And she, you know, Stoutland joked after when we got to talk to him about it, he joked, she said, well, you can go to Alabama. I'm staying here. (laughs) So that factored into it as well. And also he got a big raise, highest paid offensive line coach in football. So, um, all of that factored into it. And now we're at Jeff Stoutland. You know, he's been here for Chip Kelly. He's been here for Doug Peterson. He's been here for phase one of Nick Sirianni, and he'll be here for phase two of Nick Sirianni. Which is a necessity as far as I'm concerned, because I, even though he saw a drop down on the offensive line production, shoot, you and Tommy Lawler have the Eagles uh, selecting Lane Johnson's replacement in the first round of this upcoming NFL draft, I still will take the Eagles offensive line with any other offensive line in football. And I think Stoutland is as big a reason for it as anybody. Uh, Jason tell Kelsey's great. He's a talented player. He's very good. Lane Johnson's great talented player. Stoutland keeps that whole unit together. I, I didn't even comprehend Stoutland not coming back this offseason. All right, new offensive corner. He's got to work with it's going to happen because the Eagles are not going to let him get out the door. As you correctly pointed out, highest paid offensive lineman in football. They got to pay him a little bit more to keep him around. Oh, they'll do that. I think that Stoutland is as key a guy in a year where you have as much change on the Eagles coaching staff as there's going to be. The guy at the top is still there, Nick Sirianni. But as you come down, there's a whole bunch of changes on both the offensive and defense side of the ball. They need continuity, and Stoutland is as key a piece of that continuity as anyone. Uh, so it just kind of got, got me off guard. What do you mean Stoutland's coming back? Of course Stoutland's coming back. There was no question in my mind that Stoutland was coming back, maybe in some people's minds, but I think he is uh, that good. All right, uh, well, let's get a quickie timeout in here. Matt Verderame from Sports Illustrated, and uh, he's got a new podcast he's going to be hosting going forward. Uh, getting on that Chiefs bandwagon just in time as they potentially win another. <laughs> he's late. Football. Matt's late. Uh, we won't say that to him because we like Matt. Uh, he's great. And he's going to join us to talk Super Bowl. We'll get his thoughts on the Eagles. I always like getting an out-of-towner's thoughts on the Eagles because sometimes we all get so narrow focus on the Eagles, we miss the forest through the trees. Good to get an outsider's point of view, see what he thinks of the Eagles coaching moves this offseason, keeping Sirianni and their two no-coordinator hires. Matt Verderet from Sports Illustrated going to join us next here on Birds 365.
Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Get ready for the big game with Underdog Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in giveaways and Underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy and use the word WIN. McMullen and McDonald here with you on Birds 365. Yeah, we talk birds here day in and day out, but they do have an important game that's coming up later on in the week. It's called the Super Bowl. Yeah, last week we were getting ready for the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Eagles Chiefs in the Super Bowl, which was great up until uh, Harrison Butker kicked one through the upright, so the Eagles gave up three points short in the game. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. The whole, oh, it's so hard for the Eagles to get back there. Stop it. The Chiefs got back, so why couldn't the Eagles got back? Don't be using that as an excuse. Uh, do you want to talk about the Eagles and the big game on Sunday with our next guest? I see him in the green room. He's ready to join us. Uh, Matt Verderam from Sports Illustrated. And, Matty, I, I got to get to the bottom of this. Who came up with the name for your new podcast? The- you're, you're looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> it must have taken you days to come up with the Matt Verderam show for your podcast. I, I don't know where from left field did it just come down as a bolt of lightning to call it the Matt Verderam show? So my, my thought process is basically I came up with like 50 different names. And then I thought to myself, what is the most easily searchable thing? And I thought, hey, you know, my I'm name, my yeah. name is the most <laughs> thing. Right? So, um, it was not driven by some some ego uh, uh, area of my life, or or it was. Oh no, I was I was pointing the finger straight at l- laziness because I think of you as. Yeah, a, well, that also is part of it. It's just uh, the easiest thing. It's the Matt Verderam show. Of course, we're going to yes. call it that. That's yes. the way I would. I'd call it the Jody McDonald show. Why? Because I'm a lazy sob. So I figured you were the same as me yeah. in that vein. Yeah, I like I like the logo, Matt. 
And I like that. I think you got the five man front. You got the Fangio five man front, but it's you got some innovation there. It's yeah. Uh, I had a buddy of mine uh, yeah. who uh, who did that as a graphic designer. So nice. he uh, it was nice. Nice job. Me up and uh, yeah, no, it's it's good. Um, I mean, I have my national podcast that I do with with SI the MMQB, um, and so I my roots are with the Chiefs. And I said, you know what, they're kind of popular these days. Uh, I will do uh, I'll do a Chiefs podcast. Go back to my roots, uh, bring in guests, uh, you know. And so doing that on Patreon, uh, I think it'll be fun. It's gotten a good response so far. I'm excited about it. I'm going to start on Monday, um, and yeah, it should be good. Eventually, the other reason I did it with my name was eventually I'd like to do a national version of it on YouTube. I'm hoping nice. to probably do that over the summer, um, and so I figured that way it's not like just. The name isn't cheese specific. Uh, the, the the Patreon one will be cheese specific, but the the overall national version of it, which is at some point going to happen, will hopefully be this summer. Uh, that way, you know, I can roll with the name, uh, and, and I don't have to change everything. Nice. Uh, we'll be listening. Excited about that. Now, Jody knows Matt, and you're probably not going to be the guy for this, but I've been so, I've been looking for somebody to talk me out of the picking the Kansas city chiefs in this game and nobody can talk me out of it to this point, but I look at it and I say, you know what? Probably from one through 53, the 49ers had the better roster, but then you have maybe the best head coach of the generation. You got the best quarterback, certainly of the generation. I'm going to add this in Harrison Butker. Jody mentioned him too. They got the better kicker as well. I look at those three spots and I go, I don't know how I'm getting off the chiefs in this particular game. Um, what, what, what you're around this team. You've been around this team. You've seen this team, this run. It's easy to say Mahomes and Reed, but there's something else going on. There's a lot of good stuff there. Well, I, the funny thing is John with this team, I mean, their, their defense is the reason they're in the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. I, you know, that, that's the thing that, that has been kind of the funny thing from a national perspective that I've kind of gotten a kick out of. There's all these people who've talked about, well, you know, they have Mahomes and they're going to have to win because of Mahomes. It's like, if you've watched this football team all year long, listen, he's been great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't been, but they're in, they're where they are because of the, the defense. I mean, Spagnolo has been unbelievable this season. I mean, they're very talented on defense, yeah. but they're they're buoyed by the fact that the scheme has just been un, unbelievable. I mean, there have been games they've honestly won this year because the other quarterback has had no idea what to do. I mean, they, where they've just held the ball and held the ball and held the ball. Chiefs are second in the league in sacks, second in the league in pressure rate. I believe they lead the league in hurry rate, and it's it's because they have two great corners in McDuffie and Snead, and it's also because teams just have no idea what they're doing. I mean, they 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 do all this weird stuff. Um, but then there is, of course, also Mahomes and that factor and, and the trio of Pacheco, you know, South Jersey kid. And then you have you have Kelsey and you have Rasheed Rice. And they, they've, of course, really you know, turned that on in the playoffs. But I think it's going to be a game where if you look at the matchups, the thing that I look at and I can't get past is Spagnolo seeing Purdy for the first time. I'm not a guy who thinks Purdy stinks. I don't think that. I think Purdy is a is a slightly above average starting quarterback. I also think that seeing Spagnuolo for the first time is a brutal disadvantage for San Francisco in this game. 
I, I think by the time Purdy figures out what he has to do to win this game, they're in a hole that they're not coming back from. But I obviously could be wrong. The Niners are favored. Um, so there are plenty of people who think that this game is going the other way. Um, you mentioned Spagnuolo, and you're right. I, I, you and I, I talked to you before the championship game last week, and we both thought the Chiefs were going to win, despite the fact that they were the underdog in the game last week, too. And they did. They won. I thought people were underrating the Chiefs' defense. But I think people right realize how good their defense is with what they did to the Ravens last week, and San Francisco won't be coming in flat-footed. I think they'll be prepared. Uh, doesn't take away from anything Spagnuolo's done this year. And Spag, sure. we trust everything else. Uh, he's getting a lot of uh, props that he should get this week for the Super Bowl. What changed? Because Spag's been okay the last couple of years. And his time as a head coach, his stops in D.C. and New York. And we had him here in Philadelphia for a period of time. He's always been a solid defensive guy. Not arguably the best defensive coach in football, which I believe he was this year. What changed? What put him on that level? I think that the biggest thing was last year they had a ton of rookies on defense that, that played huge roles. I mean, whether you're talking yeah, about they, they yeah. had three different corners, they had a safety in Brian Cook, they had Leo Chanel linebacker, and they had George Karloftis up front. And that's six defensive players who five of which played starter snaps for them. Um, and Chanel was kind of a rotational guy. And now he basically plays starter snaps, although they have four linebackers they use quite a bit. I think a lot of it is when they drafted those guys, one of the reasons they drafted each one of them was they had really high football IQ. Because when you play for Spag, you have to be able to do a lot of different things. And so they drafted guys with high football IQ and they drafted guys who are versatile. And I think the main key is, A, they are very smart and they can do a lot of things. But, B, it starts with those corners. So with McDuffie and Snead, McDuffie made first team all pro. And while he's been amazing this year, I'll be honest with you, I thought I thought Snead, and I think most Chiefs people would tell you, Snead's been the best player on the team this year. Like better than Mahomes this season. They better than Chris Jones? Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, Jerry Snead's been the best player on the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Um he has traveled with every number one receiver this season and completely shut down every one of them. Um, I mean, he, he's been spectacular. The fact that he didn't make the Pro Bowl or wasn't an all-pro is a disaster, but that's neither here nor there. But my point is with Snead and McDuffie, they both play in the slot. They both play outside. They both can blitz. They both have 60 solo tackles this year. They're great tacklers. They can play zone. They can play off man. They can play press man. And when you have two corners, who you can just say, look, I don't care where they are on the field. I don't care if you try to motion them into the slot. I don't. I, I, it doesn't matter. We can just match up with your two best receivers, and they're 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 having a, a very bad day. That allows Spagnolo to do whatever he wants. They can blitz out of just about any look. They they have three safeties who they trust. In fact, they really have four of them. But Cook is hurt right now. Jamari Connor, who's a rookie for them, has come on. Very strong down the stretch. They have he, he, Justin Reed, and Mike Edwards, who they, they rotate and they play in any different way you want to play. They can put them in the box. They can put them in the slot. They can put them up high. They just have so much versatility for Spagnolo that he, his big thing, is you, as you know, and I'm sure everybody listening knows he's an Eagles fan, his whole thing has been blitz packages. He can blitz from anywhere at any time. They're very exotic. This year is like Nirvana for Spagnolo because of all the different guys that they have. They can just – they can bring – anybody from anywhere on the field and they feel like they can still cover 
that's what they did against the Ravens. I mean, everybody's talking about why the Ravens ran the ball so little. And part of that is on the Ravens. They, they should have stuck with it. Yeah. The Chiefs put eight guys in the box the entire game and just said, we're going to blitz six, 40 some odd percent of the time. Do it. Beat us throwing the ball. I mean, they just played cover zero behind it constantly. They said, you're not going to beat us. We don't care. And that, that's what happened. Yeah, if you want to blitz, and Eagles fans always want to blitz, you better have some cornerbacks. That helps. Yeah. Uh, that that gives you a lot of, of opportunity to do so, and Spags is taking advantage of it. When you look at this game, how much of it is that Kansas City's playing well and San Francisco's kind of just persevered? I mean, Green Bay was right there with them, and Jordan Love was great down the stretch, but they had a real chance to win that game. Detroit, people will tell you and criticize Dan Campbell for coaching the way he's coached all season to get there, coached the same way. Uh, the Lions arguably should have won that game, but San Francisco persevered, whereas the Chiefs, they dominated Miami. Then they go on the road, very difficult environment in Buffalo, and that was a tough game. Even though it looked close, Against Baltimore, though, Matt, it wasn't that close. It was 17-10 game, but it didn't seem that close. They dominated that football game. How much of it is that they're just playing better at the right time? Well, there's definitely there's definitely something to that. I think the biggest thing, having watched every snap of this team this year, they just stopped beating themselves. I mean, all year long. Yeah, hell, we could talk about that Chiefs-Eagles game. John, you were there. You were in the, you were in the press box. I was there coming from that game. For SI, um, I mean, that that was, I mean, to take nothing away from Philly, but that was a comedy of errors by Kansas City. I mean, to a point that you're like, I mean, how, how, how do you expect to win a meaningful game this year playing like this? I mean, MVS drops a, a touchdown yeah, right in his hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe it wouldn't have won the game, but they would have gone ahead late. Um, they, have, they had two just brutal turnovers inside the five-yard line. Like, two turnovers. You know, Mahomes makes a horrible throw. Kelsey fumbles. This is a nice play, but... I think, you know, you look at the – that game was a microcosm of the Chiefs' whole season. I mean, the Chiefs did nothing but beat themselves and, and allowed teams to punch the ball out and stuff like that. I always point to this. The Chiefs this this year, if you watch them, were good for a half dozen pre-snap penalties almost every game. Every game. False starts, illegal motion, lined up in the neutral zone, whatever you want to point at. They have not taken one pre-snap penalty in the playoffs. Not one. I don't know what changed. I couldn't tell you. I don't know if they could tell you. Nothing. Not one. And they've been on the road for two of those games. Yeah. Nothing. Um, they have had two turnovers in three games, one of which was meaningless. They were up 19 points with a minute to go, and it happened. Uh, but this is a team that all year long, a ton of penalties, a ton of turnovers. Mahomes, as great as he is, he'd tell you. A lot of balls this year that he threw, I think, kind of pressing with these receivers. Threw into coverage. He has not had one turnover-worthy play the entire playoffs. It's just it's been they've stopped beating themselves, and defensively they're just having their finest hour. They're playing lights out. They're playing great football. So I do think I think that is part of it. Um, the 49ers, look defensively, they've been bad in these in these games. I mean, whether it's been on the run, getting gashed by both teams. Jordan Love played well for three quarters. Goff played well. I mean, Goff really was let down by his receivers. Couldn't catch yeah, the ball. yeah, oh yeah. Um, look, if the Niners are going to win this game, they better come with it because if they don't and they get down like they did to Detroit, they're not coming out of this hole, not against that defense. If the Niners started really slow in these games and then they've kind of worked their way back, 
if they do that against Kansas City and they've got to abandon running the football with McCaffrey, it's going to be a long night in Vegas. They need to come out and either stay even or get ahead and then play that that you know that way and, and go forward. Eh, I think you're underestimating the fact that they have rallied in both of the last two games. Is Kansas City's defense better than either of the two defenses they have played? Yeah, in the playoffs, I certainly will give Kansas City's yeah. defense that. They have to. Um, but the mindset that we're not dead in the water, the fact that they have come from behind two straight weeks running, I, I think is a check mark in their column that they can actually tap to, tap into. I, I I think Kansas City can rally against San Francisco. I think San Francisco, the team that's up at half, isn't necessarily going to win this game unless, of course, they're up by 21 points, which could happen either way. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, guys, specifically, want to ask about on the Kansas City offense, Rashi Rice has come around. Uh, first round draft pick, a little surprised. I didn't have him going as high as they did. I said, well, the Chiefs must like something about him. I thought he was uh, uh, going to be taken a little bit later. And he got off to a slow start. And that's, man, he's missing out on an opportunity. Their receivers aren't that good. He should be able to step in, boom. Right. And then he took off and became almost an equivalent to a number of targets as Kelsey, who is uh, his, his, his brother in arms. Um, Anything specific that kicked in during the year? Was it a game? Was it a practice? Was it something happened between Mahomes and Rice or Reed and Rice that they said, all right, we're now going to focus on getting this kid the ball. And they did. And he's come up big for them. Any turning point? Yeah. I mean, really what happened was early in the year, you know, as, as Andy has always been, he's hesitant to play rookies. And so, especially receivers. So they, they really kind of spoon fed him. He did not, if you go back and look at his snap counts, the first half of the season, he did not play a ton. I mean, they would bring him in for very prepackaged stuff. A lot of wide receiver screens. Uh, I believe it was to give them credit. The ringer pointed out yesterday in an article, they wrote that he led the league in yards on wide receiver screens, which I believe because the first half of the year, it's basically all they threw to him. Uh, everything was at the line of scrimmage. And believe it or not, I mean, a huge part of the reason he wasn't getting snaps was because the Chiefs were trying to get Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony going, which which single-handedly, yeah. I yeah. think, cost them about three games this season. So they kept trying to, to play. We won Kadarius Tony with oh, the, yeah. God. I mean, yeah. To, to your point, John, earlier, like why Chiefs are playing better, that's another reason. It's not a coincidence that the second those two guys stopped playing and he went on IR for injuries, all of a sudden, the offense took off. Uh, they were basically playing 11 on nine most of the year. But, yeah, they look, they they started to phase those two guys out. Rice then got a lion's share of those snaps or being left on the table. And to his credit, they started to use him in other ways. It started to become, hey, look, this guy can run crossers. This guy can run digs. This guy can run some posts. This guy can – a lot of it was intermediate, but – that's kind of where they found their sweet spot. He's very good against zone coverage. He's destroyed zone coverage this year, which is why I actually think he might have a pretty good game against San Francisco where the Niners sitting on a lot of zone coverage. Um, he's really taken off based on, A, the maturation of, of his route running, but, B, his snap count. I mean, I think a lot of it just was tied to the fact to start playing a hell of a lot more. Mahomes trusted him. Early on, he had some drops. He's, he's cleaned up a lot of that. Um He's he's been huge for them. I mean, there's no way they're in the Super Bowl without Rasheed Rice this year. I would, I am yeah. I'm very interested actually in this game to see how the Niners treat Kelsey and Rice. I would think that most of the attention goes to Kelsey. I mean, that's just kind of been the way it's been for a decade. But Rice has been that guy. I mean, in the Miami game in the playoffs, Rice was unbelievable. He had over 130 yards and touchdown. He destroyed Miami. Um, 
And in the Buffalo game, it, and then it was it was Kelsey. And then in Baltimore, it was really Kelsey who had 11 catches on 11 targets. Um, but he's a huge factor. They can do a lot with him. And I guarantee in this game, you're going to see a lot of crossers at that 15-yard level where they're going to try to hit windows. He's got third most yards after catch this year, if anybody in football. When he gets the ball in his hands, he can take off. Yeah. And he's uh, he needs six receptions uh, to surpass Jamar Chase for the most playoff catches ever by a rookie, Rasheed Rice. So, um, yeah, I, a little pushback on Andy there because I wanted to bend Andy. You mentioned, Matt, that, uh, you know, last year we saw uh, as the Eagles lose to uh, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, how many young players they were playing in the secondary. Now that's the domain of Spags, and some of that was out of necessity. Um, but this year you see Rice getting involved. And then Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round pick, dominated the Eagles, having another great playoff run. And he seems willing. He may do it incrementally. I think, you know, most veteran coaches want to default to more veteran presence, especially early in the season. But Andy seems willing to pull that trigger when it's time to pull that trigger, when he gets guys up to speed. I think that's been a strength of Kansas City, getting the young players involved. Sometimes we have trouble with that in Philadelphia, getting young players involved. Yeah, you know, it was well, last year was fascinating with them because they had no choice. I mean, they were they were playing, as I mentioned earlier, they had six defensive players who are rookies who are either starting yeah. or playing major snaps. They had Isaiah Pacheco, who is a rookie running back, who the first half of the year didn't play a whole hell of a lot. It was mostly Clyde yeah. Edwards-Alaire, Jerry McKinnon, and then Pacheco became the guy. Um, but they – they had no choice. I mean, they had to rely on a lot of these guys, and they were the driving force behind the Super Bowl, along with, of course, you know, Kelsey Jones and, and Mahomes. This year, they've relied mostly on that second-year class, but She Rice and Chamari Connor have really come in and played a lot. Those have been the two rookies this year for the Chiefs who have stepped up. Um, Andy, I think, realized about midway through the year, these receivers, it's untenable. We can't continue to do this. I mean, they just – and I don't know, you know, they're pretty tight-lipped. I don't know whether at some point Mahomes maybe went up to Andy or went up to Brett Veach and said, look, enough. I can't anymore. Like, we got we got to get somebody out here and catch a pass. Um, and, and, and even still, they're receiving yeah. close, nothing great. I mean, Rice has been awesome, but everybody else after that is you know, anywhere from mediocre like a Justin Watson to flat-out bad. Um, but they, you know, I, I think it got to a juncture where Andy kind of felt like his hand was forced. Now, that being said – you're right. I, mean, I remember when Tyreek Hill was a rookie. The first half of the year, Tyreek Hill was used as a punt returner and like nothing else. And the second half of the year, they started realizing like, hey, let's just get this kid like the ball. Let's just put a slant in his hands and see what happens. And obviously the rest is history. I, you're right. I mean, Andy, Andy has to trust you. Andy has to know that you're not going to make a big mistake. And I think with Rice, there was a little bit of, hey, he still drops the ball sometimes. He's still not the most polished route runner, not a huge route tree, but he's better than Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony. So let's yeah. put him out there and live with the errors. And, and I think Rice, quite honestly, I think has blossomed in a way that I don't think anybody expected this fast. He's had uh, a great run, and I expect him to put up numbers in the Super Bowl again. Uh, guys who won't put up numbers in the Super Bowl uh, include Charles Amenahu. That's yeah. a pretty big loss. Uh, he made, uh, you could argue, well, two the two turnovers, his strip sack and the shot at the one-yard line on uh, the receiver coughing up the football where 
as key as anything else. And the defense wants to and needs to get credit for that. A man who out looks like Tony uh, not going to be able to go. Andy said uh, long shot at best. Right. Joe Tooney, their guard. Yep. Those are key guys in, in Philadelphia. <laughs> It'd be huge because the trenches is all that counts. Uh, two big losses in the trenches. They've been without Tooney for the last couple of games. So they've kind of adjusted there. How big a deficit are the Chiefs at because of injuries? Injuries oftentimes play a factor in a Super Bowl. Yeah, they do. Amena, who's a big loss. Um, he's been great. You know, he he missed the first six games of the year. He was suspended. He ended up playing 10 games because the last game they didn't play. It, it was irrelevant for them. Uh, had had seven sacks. He played really, really well. Uh, and in the playoffs was a force at the strip sack of Lamar Jackson. So he's going to be missed. And they do not have anybody who's going to replace him who's as good as him. Now, they do have Mike Dana, who is a rotational guy who's, I'm sure, going to get to see a lion's share of those snaps. He had seven and a half sacks this year. So he's not a bad player by any means. And he, and he like Amenahu, can play inside and outside. So schematically, they, they can do that, and they don't lose a ton in terms of their flexibility. However, that now you are down a rotational guy. So instead of having Dana, who's going to come in and provide that extra push, now you're going to look to your first-round pick, who's Felix and D.K. Uzama, who has done nothing this year. Now, not because he hasn't been good, to be fair to the kids. He just hasn't played. They haven't played him. They haven't needed him. Um, but when he has played, he's been quiet. He has not done much. I think he's a half sack this year, and he's played very minimally. I mean, he's been inactive a lot of games. Mm-hmm. It's a stretch to think that they're going to really rely on him, but Spagnuolo said this week, look, he's playing. So we'll see. I think the amenity who lost is bigger than Tooney. If for no other reason, the drop-off is more significant. Allegretti, right. Nick Allegretti, who plays behind Tooney, he's been in the Chiefs for a long time. Uh, he was there for both their Super Bowls prior he is not Joe Tooney. He is not a first-team All-Pro. But Nick Allegretti has played before in Kansas City when he's been forced to an injury, and he's done a very nice job. He was excellent against Baltimore if you watch the film. I think he'll be okay. He's not going to be Tooney. He probably won't win as much as Tooney and move guys as much as Tooney, but I don't think he'll lose either. I think he'll be all right in that regard. The Amenahu thing, they'll probably try to cover up a play more of Maidana and the blitzing. So it hurts, for sure. Uh, but... I think there are ways around. I think the Amena who won, even though he's not as good as Tooney, I think probably is more impactful than Tooney's loss. All right. Uh, we haven't talked much about the other team, uh, San Francisco. You know, we talked the, the the Chiefs defense, you know, they give up 17 points a game. San Francisco scores 29. Yep. They give up under 300 yards. San Francisco's up near 400. Um we know the playmakers, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel. Nobody's got better playmakers. Um, if Brock Purdy can play a clean game, how concerned should the Chiefs be? Is it all about making Brock Purdy uncomfortable or you're I in trouble? I think that's a big part of it. Um, look, Purdy in this game to me, the biggest thing is a what you just said. He, he has to he has to take care of the football. I mean, if, if they turn him over a few times in this game, that that's when things could really turn. Which of course is true the other way as well. Yeah. Um, but I think they have to get some explosive plays in this game. I, I I think that was what happened with Buffalo. Buffalo ran the ball for 186 yards against Kansas City. Ran the ball up and down the field. Allen in that game threw for 4.8 yards per attempt. The Chiefs yeah. basically just said, "Look, we don't care." Run all day long. Doesn't matter. You're not going to get big explosive plays. The Bills are not have one play of 20 yards in that game. The Chiefs put a, a, a dome on it. 
So that's it. We're done. Allen in that game throwing past the line of scrimmage was 10 of 21 for 95 yards. They just manned up on the receivers to beat us. I think Purdy is going to have to beat them a little bit. Not saying he's got to go nuts. I'm not saying he's got to throw for 300 yards even. But they've got to be able at some point to get some chunk yardage in the game. Just the way the NFL's played today. I mean, the reality is you can run with McCaffrey all day long. But at some point, even as great as he is, you know, you're going to get stuffed on a run. It's going to be second and 10. It's going to be second and 11. And you're going to have to be able to do it. And that's where when they get into those inevitable second and 10s, the third and sevens that, that, that happened to any team in any game, can he win on those downs? The, Chiefs, the, the Niners have been great on third down offensively. The Chiefs have been great on third down defensively. I think that's a huge part of this game. Purdy is going to be forced to have a half dozen plays in this game where, hey, you have to make a throw. You got to make a play. And he's made some of those throws this year. To his credit, he has done that. He's got to be able to do that in this game. Because I don't think just going 20 of 30 for a buck 80 is going to do it. Like, I don't I don't think that – I don't care what McCaffrey does. They need to be able to get some chunks in this game. Because I think on the other side, Mahomes against that defense and against that secondary in particular, they are going to scheme up some yardage in that game. I don't think he's going to go insane. I don't think he's going to go nuts. But, like – other than Trevary's word, that secondary can be had. And I think the Chiefs and Andy Reid are going to find ways to do stuff. The Niners have to figure out a way to get some chunk plays, and they have the weapons to do it. Uh, Trevary's word not going to be invited uh, to Kansas <laughs> City if the 49ers win this game, since he said it's oh, much better to be a 49er than a Chief. Uh, not going to be at the key to the city of Kansas City if the 49ers win, is he? No, you know, I don't blame everybody's made a, a lot of that comment in the Chiefs circles. My thing is they look, you know, when he was on the Chiefs, he was on a rookie deal in San Francisco, he's getting paid like 11 million a year. I bet yeah, it is yeah, good yeah, point. Yeah. Good, very good point, man. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, I mean, hey, and sometimes guys develop. He he's had a really good season. Oh, he's, he's terrific. Yeah. He's yeah. terrific. And I can tell you this. I remember when he hit free agency, the Chiefs tried to keep him. Like a, they were very, very bummed out they could not keep him. It wasn't one of these deals where they just let him walk and like he they tried and they eventually hit a price point they wouldn't go over and to the Niners credit it's it's been a bargain for them so she mm-hmm. should have paid more looking back although it's worked out for both sides but Ward's been great I mean I think you know one of the things in this game you know, look at Ward is an all-pro corner um now the one thing that's interesting in this game he does not travel he will stay on the right side of the field that's where he is she's corners travel they move all over without Hafunga in this game it's safety for the Niners how much do the Chiefs try to just go away from a ward and just attack the hell out of the other side of the field in this game? Now, if you're the Niners, of course, you can slide over. You can do some different things. But I do find it interesting. I wonder, does Ward travel at all on Sunday? Do they change that a little bit? Or do the Chiefs just say, look, if you're going to sit in zone, you're going to sit them on this side of the field. We're just going to run rice on these crossers away from them the entire game. Um, I, I had that same question when Miami played the Chiefs in the playoffs earlier this year with Ramsey. Yeah. And they sat in those zones. They didn't move Ramsey. And Rice just ran crossers away from him and just killed them all game long. Now, San Francisco is a much better defensive team than Miami. I, I understand that. Uh-oh. Vic Fangio but, alert. Uh, right, but Eagles it's the fans. same. Now, I know. I know. Like, I know. It's that same what, type of we're yeah. going to sit and cover three yeah. and we're not going to blitz. And like, and look, the Eagles did the same thing last year. The Eagles sat in yeah. zone, and they're not, and, and the Chiefs. If you if Mahomes knows what's coming in the game, it's a problem. If Wilkes sits in that same predictable defense, 
and doesn't change at all. It doesn't give many wrinkles, any looks, and they just drop seven and they have four underneath. They've got to get home. Like that's the game to if the Niners cannot get the Mahomes, it's gonna be a very long night. How so. many of Rice's snaps are gonna be out of the, the slot? Because I think oh, Lenore is one amount. what's that? A considerable amount. Considerable amount. Yes. I think Lenore is one of the best slot corners in the NFL. So you're talking about them sitting in zone, whatever. Uh, they play zone-like concepts. But Lenore does a lot of one-on-one work with guys in the slot, which means him against Rice, I think, could be a key matchup in this game. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. And Lenore is a good player. I think it's it'll be interesting to see, again, how much do the Niners stick to what has gotten them here, which is just, look, a lot of single high safety, a lot of zone. You know, Teams typically don't change who they are. That yeah. you are what you are. I mean, Belichick, of course, is the exception. That Belichick changes yeah. every week. But that's been kind of the thing. And that's, I think, frankly, with the Chiefs, with Spagnolo, what's made them very successful this year is the Chiefs have been like that, where they change. Every week they play some other way. And yeah. they, they don't really have a ton of tendencies other than the fact they like to blitz you. I am very uh, curious in this game to see if the Niners will travel with these receivers, play more man, or if the Niners are going to say, look, we play cover three, we play four man underneath, we're going we're gonna to sit in our zones. That's what we do. If they do that, I think the Chiefs are going to try to get away from Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, and they're going to just try to run routes through those zones and let Mahomes just fire into those areas. It's it's going to be an interesting chess match. A lot of great uh, Super Bowl intel from uh, at Matt Verderan. Make sure you follow Matt on X, uh, Twitter. Um, does a tremendous job over at uh, SI.com. Starting next Monday, the Matt Berteram Show, the video podcast that will be uh, talking Chiefs. Um, uh, that'll be a, a tremendous listen. Before I got, I let you go, Matt. Got to talk about the national perspective to what the Eagles have done and how that's gone over because it's a strange situation. Um, you got a coach with a six sixty seven winning percentage, but imploded. At yeah. the end of the season, three consecutive playoff berths. Eagles could have fired him. Um, they could have kept him, and they sort of straddled the fence. They kept him but took away some of his powers. Is that how you see it from the outside looking in? Because it certainly looks that way to us. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I didn't think at the end of the year that he'd get fired, but that was one of the bigger collapses I've seen in the NFL from a good team. I mean, you, listen, we've all seen those teams that are fraudulent start out yeah, like one-on-one, yeah, yeah. and you know they're not good, and then they just they, you know, they fall apart. The Eagles are a team that was coming off Super Bowl appearance with 10-1. and one. I mean, beat Dallas, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Three games in a row. And I know they were – like, I get the games were kind of – but, like, who cares? They won. Yeah. They won those games. I still don't know what the hell happened. I mean, I understand the defense was kind of hanging by a thread, and, like the roof caved in. I, I, I get that part of it. But watching them – and I watched every game they played this year. Watching them defensively basically stop trying was just staggering. I mean, guys just not tackling, not even trying to tackle. Missed assignments, blown coverages. I mean, the second half of that Arizona game was one of the weirdest halves of football I've ever seen a team play. Um, so, I, well, I didn't think Sirianni would get fired because of what you mentioned. I mean, look, he's been the coach for three years. He's been to the playoffs three times. He's been to a Super Bowl. I thought, you know, I'm an East Coast guy. Like, I, I wouldn't have been totally shocked if in the city of Philadelphia, it was like, all right, enough, get out. Um, my biggest concern moving forward with Philly is just 
when that thing started to come off the rails, like you got to be able to kind of pull it together a little bit. You got to be able to, hey, all right, we lost two in a row, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to make some adjustments. Their adjustment was basically, I know they didn't technically, but the fire shot on the side. I mean, it's the, the motive, essentially. And put in Matt Patricia, like that was the mm-hmm. answer to that. Matt Patricia can't coach. Like, I, I hate to break this news to everybody. Like, Matt Patricia cannot coach football. I, I don't care. I know people are like, well, you know, he was a head coach once. That's nice. He can't coach. Um, I, I was shocked that the answer to losing two games was we're going to get rid of Desai and, and, and neuter him, and we're going to put Patricia in here, and shockingly nothing got fixed. Like, if I'm Howie Roseman, if I am Jeffrey and Laurie, my biggest thing with Nick Sirianni is, look, man, it's not always going to be peaches and cream. Like, you got you to be able to, like, have an answer to here. And he didn't at all. I mean, that that's my biggest concern moving forward is what happens if next year they start out two and two? Like, can you get going? Or is this just, hey, I really miss Jonathan Cannon and Shane Steichen. And without those guys, I'm not the same coach. I, I don't buy into that because they were 10 and one. Yeah. But like, it, at some point, you've got to have that ability to stop a bad run to stop some bad play to make that key adjustment. And they just never did it. And those two games you lost that you referred to San Francisco, more weapons than anybody in the national football league and Dallas at home, which was the best team on the planet. When you talk about offense in a building, Oh yeah, we need to fire him now. I thought it was a fireable offense. They decided not fire the coach, but just quickly. uh, And we already kept you a long time. Um, Can it work? The concept of, Coach stays the same, loses some of his power, bring in a new offense quarter, a new defense quarter. You're really trying to thread the needle. Can you make that work in the NFL? You can, but it it is a unique approach. You don't see that a ton. Um, and you you do wonder, like, look, if you had that little confidence in Sirianni after the season, like maybe you should have just made the change. Um, that being said, yeah, I think it can work. I mean, look, the Eagles are really talented. It's not like the Eagles have some roster that's bereft of talent. Like they can, they can play. I would not be at all surprised the Eagles go you know, thirteen and four next year. But I do think, yes, it, it is a it is a weird situation. Um, and I do think, just knowing Philly, they better get off to a good start. <laughs> you know, there's, there's not going to be Brazil, by the way. Yeah, you know, they're two and three because of a tough schedule early. Nobody's going to want to hear. Well, the back half of the schedule is easier. Like, yeah. the, I mean. The, you need to get off. I think that's going to be imperative for them. You got to get that bad juju out of the way. I think it can work. I do think it can work, but it is a weird uh, way of going about this, con- considering all all the factors. I've never asked you this, Verderame, last name, mom's uh, heritage. A little Portuguese in there or no? <laughs> no, uh, no. You don't know how to say suck in Portuguese because if the Eagles fall behind, whoever they're playing against week one, uh, yeah, they'll learn to curse in Portuguese real fast with the game being played in Brazil. No, uh, my heritage is pretty much all uh, northern Italian, which uh, listen, I also factors in because those people know how to scream and yell, and uh, that, that'll factor in just nicely. Uh, yeah, all, all, uh, all northern Italians all, all ended up in uh, northern New Jersey, so um. A lot of anger on that side of the family. But uh, he's in, he's yeah, in got, Chicago. got to step up, Sirianni. He's in Chicago now these days where they know how to scream too. Uh, Matty V, very much looking forward to the new podcast. Always read your work on SI. You know we're going to tap into you plenty during the offseason. Thanks for jumping in today. Enjoy the bowl on Sunday. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Matt Verdurame, uh, the Matt Verdurame Show. Damn. 
he must have uh, uh, angst over that for two weeks to figure out what he was going to call his new yeah, show. He's right, though. That's, you know, I always recommend people in my industry. Now, I know there's a lot of trolls on Twitter, but a lot of people use weird Twitter names. And I said, if you want to, you know, build your brand, use your own name, because that's the easiest thing to search. Yeah. Right. He's right. Uh, Google Google is key, as a matter of fact. All right, you don't need to Google us. You just need to stick around and come back and see what Mac and Mac do to put a bow on the show. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust, and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Get ready for the big game with Underdog Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in giveaways and Underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy and use the word WIN. Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. One quick question before we got exit stage left. And again, thanks to Matt Verderian for jumping in. We went a little long with him. Um, when you've covered Super Bowls, uh, certainly when the Eagles were in last year or previously, um, again, I'm tying back to my baseball roots and maybe I've got too close a tie. How important is it, if at all, that general managing coaches are at the Super Bowl prior to the Super Bowl. 
Um, they. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you like mean? Like Howie and Nick? Are they going to be at the Super Bowl this week? Oh, I I misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that no, it's not important at all. The Super Bowl. I mean, um, you know, some guys go out there. Coaches go out there for you know, Radio Row and stuff that has nothing to do with the teams, but the Eagles are in such upheaval. I, I wouldn't expect them out there uh, during the week. Um, you know, teams like Tampa Bay introduced their coordinators uh, yesterday or one of their coordinators. Um, no, it's not a big deal at all. Uh, the Combine, the Senior Bowl, those were more things, as Tommy pointed out, that those things, and I pointed out with the Combine, with the Rams and other teams there were like three or four teams that's shifting a little bit. GMs and head coaches would always be at those types of things, but not the Super Bowl, unless you're in the Super Bowl. That's what I was thinking about. You're in the Super Bowl. Of course you're there, but if you're not, you got work to do generally. Yeah. See, uh, again, comp in the baseball, all the executives go to the world series, uh, whether you're in it or not, you make plans to go to the world series, uh, to lay the groundwork for off-season deals and uh, talk to, yeah, because agents know to show up at the uh, biggest game of the year, the World Series. Yeah, of, that's more the combine for the year, which is beautiful. That's more the combine for the NFL. The combine was always the place where illegal tampering, legal tampering really got started. Uh, and still to a certain degree, that's sort of the the crux of the, the back and forth where agents and executives get together and start so laying groundwork. What you're telling me is uh, Howie Roseman is going to be like Carmen San Diego, where in the world is until he comes out like the groundhog uh, come combine time. He will stay low profile until that point. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and yeah, I don't think the Eagles want to want to be, out in the Super Bowl and with all the expectations and all the fans thinking they should be there. Yeah, you know, you gotta, the, that, that's if not point. for the point of the bad coaching, they should be there. Which you is, got a point there. Maybe yeah. low profile is the way to go this week. Uh, we'll try and go higher than low profile tomorrow. I've got another good uh, national guy, Eric Edholm, is going to join us tomorrow from NFL.com. So you want to be tuned. Thank you much for tuning in, uh, streaming in today. Hit the like button on the way out. Help out your boys, Mac and Mac. We'll be back here in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.